Hi, and welcome to episode 117 of No Crying in Baseball, the How About Them Ravens episode. My name is Patty. I'm here with my friend Potty Mouth. Hi, Potty Mouth. Hey, football's still going on? Yeah, I well, realized that they kept playing after the Patriots are eliminated. Well, unfortunately, they did because the same team that beat the Patriots knocked out the Ravens yesterday, yeah. and it was really a horrible, horrible game. It was an embarrassment. So go Packers. We're coming to you live from halftime in the Packers game, and the Packers are currently winning, so bandwagon. I'm good with the Packers, though. I think they're like a politically good statement. I love that 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 model of a team being owned by the, people's the team. people. And, yeah. and they had that big donation to Planned Parenthood this year, too, which made a lot oh. of friends and a couple of enemies. I'm one of the friends that was already there but cemented our lifetime relationship. We say go Packers. I just want to say something before we get started about Puerto Rico, because we talk about Puerto Rico a lot on this podcast um, dealing with baseball stuff, and we know that the baseball and the political and the world and the real life situations often overlap and right now is one of them that that the earthquake in Puerto Rico it wasn't just one or two but do you know that they've been happening daily oh God, since no. it started at no. the end of December so that means that there've been actually over a thousand little earthquakes some of them bigger and actually about 70 of them have been damage inducing there have been a hundred or so that they can feel but over a thousand have actually happened so it's a very unstable situation to say the least and i just want to put a word out there for people, a great place to support is um, Chef Jose Andres's organization, the World Central Kitchen. And they were in there after Maria, and we talked about that. And right now, they're all over the island delivering tons of meals, 12,000 so far, I think. They did three and a half million with Maria. So there's a long way to go. So if anybody wants to throw some money that way, I will put it in the show notes, but it's just wck.org. And one of the places where they are, here's the connection, is a baseball stadium. And this baseball stadium has been turned into kitchen, shelter, wow. showers, like everything's in there. And and I have a link to their uh, Facebook page as well that we can post. But we're thinking of you all. Carlos Correa was there through it. He's helping out. Javi Baez has gone down to help out. So you know that baseball is going to be pulling through for this. Now I feel bad about saying why I'm sad because that's a, that's a real sad. That's a big global sad. I'm just sad because I'm going to break up with Anthony Rendon today. Breaking up is hard to do. It's horrible. I'm going to cry in my beer. Will you be there for me? Will you be supportive? I will refill your beer. That too. I can that's also that. good. On today's show, arbitration, vocabulary, some records were set, file and trial for some NCIB boyfriends. We've got new boyfriends on the Angels and the Phillies. I'm going to break up with Anthony Rendon. I'm so sad about that. We're going to talk about electronic sign stealing. The plot thickens, more teams, more repercussions, and world uh, world baseball. It's winter baseball time. More of that. And finally, the Olympics are banning demonstrations by athletes. Time for the annual arbitration splaining. All right. I'm ready to go. All I right. need a refresher. Okay. So you are a baseball player on a major league team. I am. You are. You're that good. Oh, shit. Welcome to the show. If you have played for a said team or any team, if you have between three and six years of service time, remember service time? There's a certain number of days you have to play in a season for it to count as a year of service mm-hmm. time, which is why minor league players don't get brought up until April instead of in March or May instead of April right. to keep them under team control for longer. When they hit that... Um, after that third year, they can negotiate salaries. They're no longer being pay- paid 
by default the league minimum, which is still around half a million dollars. Mm-hmm. But that's the default. No negotiation has to happen. They can negotiate contracts. We've talked about those. Um, you know, uh, Louis Robert, Robert, Robert right. from last week, your boyfriend, yeah. for instance, had just negotiated this contract, which will keep him out of arbitration because he negotiated or so that's happening more often. But usually what happens is the players and the team sort of pass pieces of paper across the table to each other with different numbers on it, and they negotiate what their salary should be because they've played for a few years. You know what their value is. You know what you think you're worth, what the team thinks you're worth, and you try to agree on something. Right. Now, weirdly, that doesn't prevent the two sides from continuing to negotiate. Like They could still come to an agreement before then. Which is why I, can't, I, I don't understand why this is actually a deadline if you can continue to. But the things that I've read said most teams this year are totally in file file and trial um, mode. So if they could, didn't come to an agreement, they're just going to go to the hearings. But not that many are going, as it turns out. Now, before we talk about who is going, there were some records that were set. Yeah, I was a little nervous what was going on with Mookie Betts. And like you were saying, I guess this deadline forces something to happen that a long time was being waited to see if a contract was going to go through, and it didn't. So he gets a $27 million record for arbitration. So the Red Sox have him for another year. That's good news. He's got a lot of money. I'm hopeful he's my two-time boyfriend. We'll see if that keeps up. Stay tuned for our Red Sox episode. That's, that's actually that's a good point, is what they agree on this year is for this year, mm-hmm. and they will renegotiate next year. This is not a contract. This is like a, it was like a year long contract. Right. It's a year long decision. They're up for grabs again next year. For for example, and and Mookie, who is I guess it's his third year, right? Yeah. So that would make him more valuable than say Cody Bellinger, who is obviously very valuable, is in his first year of arbitration, and he got eleven and a half million, which is a record for a first year arbitration deal. Is that right? Did I say that right? Yes, and okay. he actually just edged out um, Chris Bryant, who was the the uh. re- current was the record holder until then for the first year okay. i think it was like 10 million or something for him so we have some boyfriends who could not come to agreement with their teams and teams could not come to an agreement with our boyfriends and they are going to these hearings probably they're in the file and trial section including andrew Benatendi, who has a seven hundred fifty thousand dollar difference between what he's asking for and what the red sox say they want to give him i and just trying to get my grasp on what that means that doesn't seem like a lot in the grand scheme of things for some of these guys it's not a lot because and some of the ones we'll talk to in a minute like george springer is asking for 22 and a half million dollars and the astros are offering him five million dollars less than that that's a big difference that's a big difference but percentage wise is not maybe so different than say uh brian goodwin um, who's now with the Angels? He's, he used to be my Royals boyfriend. Is asking for three hundred fifty thousand more than what the Angels are offering, okay. which is a much smaller number. Yeah. But it may not be that different a percentage. It's kind of interesting because some of these numbers are not all that big. Um, also with the Astros, um, Elenis Diaz, who was my um, Blue Jays boyfriend and now with the Astros, is asking for six hundred thousand more than the Astros are giving him. Um, over in Rockies land, Trevor Story is like. Ben Attendee asking for 750000 more. And Tony Walters, who was my emergency backup catcher replacement boyfriend, is asking for a half a million dollars more than they're offering. So those two guys for the Rockies are going to arbitration. Two guys from the Astros are going. Um, and then uh, JT Biomuto, who we'll talk about in a little bit, because he's going to be my boyfriend, uh, is asking for $2.4 million than the Phillies are offering him right now. So 
don't know how that's going to turn out. Um, Real Muto tried this with the Marlins and ended up with less than he was asking. Um, sometimes you win, sometimes you don't win. But that when you go to when you go to these hearings, you agree to just abide by whatever they decide. Lots of Dodgers. There are four Do- Dodgers, I think, that are going on to this file and trial stage, including Max Muncy, who's asking for about seven hundred thousand more, and Jack Peterson, who's asking for a little less than two million more. Wow. Um, again, you know, it's different. I just wonder about the bad blood and the and the team dynamic when stuff like this happens, when you have to basically argue your worth. And I'm particularly w- worried about your guy, Ben Attendi, because mm-hmm. both JBJ and Mookie Betts got settled, and there's the outfield. So, like, that's just a weird feeling that he's, you know. Right, and the icky part yeah. of this is, as part of the negotiation, your team basically tells you why you're not worth that. Yeah. And who wants to hear that? Right. But they do say that this doesn't really have an effect on future contract negotiations. Um, I'm going to talk more about Real Muto in a few minutes. And the Phillies have expressed interest in signing him long term. And this and everything said this won't this going to, to hearing right now won't affect that. They'll this will get him. This will buy him onto the team for this year, settle that. And then they have all season to work out the contract extension. Well, for the Phillies sake, I hope so. They need some help, although I'm not one to root for the Phillies on most other weeks. But I will be doing so this week because we're going to talk about our boyfriends. This is what we do on this podcast. We pick guys. These guys are cool. They're cool, not just on the field but they do something extra off the field. So every week we each talk about one guy per team on one AL team and one NL team. And we've been working our way up from the teams with the worst record all the way up to the best. And we're kind of hunkering down in the middle now. We are exactly in the middle today. Oh, far We are exactly in the middle. That was a good guess on my part then. We are with the Angels. And I picked Albert Pujols. And I've heard of him. Yeah, I think, you know, I feel like we haven't talked about him enough. I was looking back on when we have talked about him, and it's really not much. And this man is a legend, and he is still playing. So I picked him for a few specific reasons. Number one, talk about a respectable age for a boyfriend. Right now, as we're recording, he's 39, but his birthday is next week. On the 16th, he will be 40 years old. And that's even questionable. There was a lot of controversy in his very early years that he's actually er older than on record. And it's probable that he is. So, man, that's a really good sign for me for picking a boyfriend or a respectable age. (laughs) The second thing is I have his shirt. And this is a really shitty reason to get somebody's shirt. Does he want it back? Uh, You know, he's, he's giving his shirts away. And we'll get to more on that later. But... When I went to California and I went to Angel Stadium and I was looking around the, the gift shop, you know, usually the shirts that are on sale, like I think about at Nats Park, that the Bryce Harper shirts are like, you know, tons of them, very, very marked down. And that would not be a good reason to buy a shirt. But this Pujol shirt, I think it was just like an odd size, but it fit me. And so are you. Yeah, That's perfect. exactly. <laughs> so I'm, I'm thinking that he's not a bargain basement boyfriend, but I just happened to get a bargain basement shirt. So I have the shirt. So there's a sign. So I feel like I kind of had to pick him. And then the time that we did talk about him uh, last year, was there was this video of him signing a shirt for a fan with Down syndrome. And it turned out that the kid was actually from Miami and went to Toronto to view to watch the game. So there's a lot of backstory there. But uh, while he was watching the game, he got Pujols' attention. And he came up and the kid wanted him to sign his shirt. But Pujols took the shirt off his back, signed it, and gave it to the kid. And this was amazing for 
what a gesture. And also, man, when he took the shirt off his back, his biceps were... That counts yeah. towards boyfriend points, doesn't Actually, it? Actually, extra points there. Turns out what I didn't know is that Pujols and his family have had a foundation since 2005 that was actually started to benefit kids with Down syndrome. Oh. And it out, it's a big one of these umbrella things. He also helps poor the poor in Dominican Republic, kids with disabilities and life-threatening illnesses. But his stepdaughter, who is the one of his, his five kids with his current wife that wasn't his biologically, um, has Down syndrome. And so his family has been very active in, in supporting uh, organizations and charities to benefit research on Downs. So power to him. And another reason why he's a great boyfriend is that he got a perfect score on his citizenship test in 2007. We love a good student here. Mm -hmm. So I've learned a little bit that it's also good to talk about baseball skills when we do this. And there is absolutely no way I can possibly tell all of the amazing uh, stats that are out there for Pujols. But first of all, he's been an all-star a whole shit bunch of times. I didn't add it up, but he was an all-star as a rookie in 2001 when he was also rookie of the year. He skipped 02, but then he was an all-star every year through 2010. And then when he moved to the American League, he was all-star again in 2015. Golden Glove twice, Silver Slugger, Silver Slugger three times, MVP of the National League three times. When he was on the Cardinals, which was really, you know, his heart home for a long time, they made the World Series, well, they were champions in the World Series twice, in 06 and 2011, and he played a pivotal role in both of those games. It was kind of wild to go back to it, because in the first World Series game in 2006, he uh, won the first game with a two-run home run over Justin Verlander. So there's some old guys out there still doing good <laughs> things. In 2011... He got three home runs in a World Series game, and he was one of only three other players. At the time, there was only two other players who had done that before, gotten three home runs in a World Series game. They were Babe Ruth and Reggie Jackson. Since, though, Pablo Sandoval did it also with the Giants, but it's still a small club of those three home runs in a World Series game. When he moved to the Angels, it was really contentious. I know a lot of hearts were broken in St. Louis, and he went on a 10-year contract in 2012. So he was already up there. So they were willing to take a gamble that his early years would be productive because the contract goes through 2021. So he's going to be, what, 42, 41? Yeah, if he's 40 now, he'll be 41. I can do that much Look at math. You go. Oh, my God. But he's, he's doing well. He's hanging in there. I think he's still good boyfriend material. And he has records that are across the board. So he is number 17 in all time for runs with 1828. He is number 14 all time. This is all time through through baseball history with 3202 hits. He has 656 home runs, which is number 6 and he's only 4 away from Willie Mays, so he could be number 5. And if he gets really busy in the next couple of years, he could catch up to A-Rod if he gets 40 more. His uh, RBI is even more impressive. 2,075, he's tied for fourth place with only nine away from A-Rod. So I think he can catch A-Rod on that one. Um, his background, very humble. From the Dominican Republic, where he lived as a small child, mostly raised by his grandmother, 
uh, had issues with an alcoholic father who was actually a softball player who I think he used to help get home from games or post-game celebrations. And the family moved to Washington Heights, New York City in 1996. He was witness to a shooting in New York, and his family got out of New York City fast, went to Missouri, which is where he grew up, and got a scholarship to community college, and to the cards from there, 13th round draft pick, which he still like has a little bit of a grudge about. I saw a really cute <laughs> interview with him talking about when he was picked 13 round, he was just down. And he said to himself, if I'm not up in the majors in three years, I'm done. I'm just done. And some really sweet things with the next generation. A really cute video with him giving Vladimir Guerrero Jr., my current Toronto boyfriend, some advice about, you know, you know, your father's a Hall of Fame legend, but don't let it get to you. That's like the basic thing. Like, be your own guy. Don't worry. Don't crack to the pressure. And same thing with David Ortiz's son also. Can you imagine? Like, this kid's 15 years old. He's hanging out, working out with his dad, Ortiz, and Albert Pujols. Talk about pressure. I don't know. Some good role models right there. Yeah. So that's the guy. I have a little bit of social math for you. When you said that um, Pujols' rookie year was in 01, Mm -hmm. that was the year that our kids were born. Oh, right. And our kids are in college now. Yeah. So that's a little perspective on longevity in baseball. Totally. Wow. So um, I'm going to pour a beer because I have to to break up now. I have to break up with Anthony Rendon. Do I need to get some tissues? Um, I don't know if I'm going to cry. Or if I'm just going to maybe sniffle a little, definitely going to have this this half a beer that you left me, and I appreciate that. Anthony Rendon was my once and forever boyfriend, and I will always love him. And I'm wearing his shirt right now, and he's still the guy. But I have to say, all the stuff around the White House visit and the golf game with the current president and all this stuff made me think, I wouldn't, I don't want you as my boyfriend. I will enjoy watching you play ball. I still might have to get an angel shirt with your name on it because I think you're pretty cool but you're not going to be my angel's boyfriend and I was talking to my kid about this and I'm like what do I do and the kid says I wouldn't keep him and I said well who would you pick the answer was Shohei Otani and I said yes but you can't do pick DH there we go I'm gonna use DH to work for me I'm gonna I'm totally good with that I, I think that's great well I had Nelson Cruz last year and they got me a lot of points so I'm hoping that Shohei Otani gets me a lot of points now I'm not gonna talk about him too long because we talked about him a whole lot in the past because he was like the it boy when he was being signed when he was being courted by all the all the teams in 2012 when he was a wee one there was interest shown from the Rangers the Red Sox the Yankees and the Dodgers after he finished high school in Japan 2012. That's not that long ago. Wow. Well, yeah. But also, he said, okay, you know, he really wanted to go. He really wanted to go. But he was drafted also by the um, Nippon Profession- Professional Baseball League, which is the Japanese league, um, is shortened to NPB. And they won him over. So he stayed and he played with them from 2013 to 2017. So he stayed in Japan. And and while he played for them, he recorded the fastest pitch in NPB history of 102.5 miles per hour. And again, this was just coming out of high school. So he was pretty young. This is He wasn't like major league level yet. He was finally signed by the Angels as an international free agent in December of 2017. He debuted as a DH on opening day in 2018. And then went on to win Rookie of the Year for the American League that year. He also ended up having Tommy John surgery at the end of that season. 
He came back in May of the of the most recent season, 2019 season, recovering from Tommy John enough to bat, but not to pitch yet. He's, he was still working on that, but he came back as a DH, basically. He became the first Japanese-born player to hit for the cycle in, that June versus Tampa Bay. He was the first in Major League Baseball to hit more than 15 home runs and pitch and pitch more than 15 more than 50 strikeouts in a single season. He was the first to his first win was on April 1st in 2018, his first season. His first home run was April 3rd, which was the second game that he played. So he was the first person since Babe Ruth to homer in um in his first start as a non-pitcher after winning as a pitcher. Wow. That makes sense, that, right? I'm, I'm so wrapping my brain around. Won that, a game as a pitcher cool. gotcha. and then played the next game not as a pitcher and, and hit a home it. run. And hit a home run in that game. So pretty cool. Um, he broke the Angels record of 63 strikeouts in his first 10 starts. So auspicious beginnings for Shohei Otani. Um, so he's still, you know, he's finishing his recovery from Tommy John. So he's not going to be ready to pitch at the beginning of the 2020 season, but he's going to be ready to DH opening day. And what they're thinking about is having him pitch probably once a week, and they want his bat in the game three to five times a week. So once a week is a little less than a regular starting pitcher, which is like every five starts. They're spacing it out a little bit, you know, to try and taking care of like the recovery, the Tommy John recovery, right? There might be inning limits. We don't know yet. But, you know, Joe Madden is newly the manager of the Angels, and he's been talking about Otani and really excited about him and he wants him to bat during the games when he pitches he comes from the National League now doesn't he right so he knows this and he says he so he would they would forfeit having a DH in those games because Otani would also bat you know because that's what people should do but anyway so what I liked was he did the math and said that that's like another 50 at bats from Otani, who's a hugely successful batter. But also he says, don't treat your guys like China dolls. It's time to be a baseball player. So I just wanted to get a little DH dig in there. Interesting. From from uh, from Joe Madden. And Otani batted when he pitched in Japan. He can do it. I'd love to see him do it. He's also a funny guy because we've heard about him, like all his teammates believe he knows more English than he lets on. Right. Because he gets away with a lot. So I'm, I can't wait to watch him. Yeah, I just want to point out, though, that he did pick American League so that he could bat more. So he wanted that DH. So I don't know if the DH is – he's like extra DHing, right? Like pitch for yourself plus pitch for the other guys. Why not? Well, sure. I mean, I mean, I mean if it's hit, out hit, there, hit, if it's out there and you, if it's out there, why right. not? It's just silly. So we'll go to the NL now. Let's do. And talk about guys who, uh, who are hitting. And we're in the Phillies. So it was hard for me to find a Phillies boyfriend because a couple of our boyfriends from last year migrated over to the Phillies, including Didi Gregorius for me, John Segura for you, plus our Phillies boyfriends from before, which were for you, Reese Hoskins, and I had Adubo Herrera, and you had um, uh, Nick, Nick Williams. Williams. So that so just cut down the we playing have, field, We have a so lot of rules. We have a lot of rules. Like mm-hmm. we, can't, we can't have the same boyfriend twice. Even and we, we can't pick each other's boyfriends from the past or anything. We're yeah, allowed to totally wrong. We're allowed to carry on one boyfriend from the current year to the next year. So remember Anthony Rendon, I carried him from the first year to the second year and just broke up with him tonight. But that's why some of these teams are getting a lot of our boyfriends and it is getting harder to choose. 
Who's left? So, and I had limited time today. So the first good-looking guy I picked was Scott Kingery. He's he's a uh, third base, uh, sort of. He's super utility. He's played pretty much everything. He's played shortstop, second base, outfield, but he's currently listed as third base. He was on a Little League World Series team in 2006, managed by his father, Tom. He played shortstop at that time, and his twin brother, Sam, was on second base. So I can't imagine that kind of pressure of coaching your twin sons in the Little League World Series. It just sounds like a rough family dynamic, especially because his his brother had to give things up. His brother didn't end up making it into the major leagues. Um, they were both having issues getting scouted for playing in college. And he actually passed on a junior college to try his luck at doing a walk-on spot at university. University of Arizona, and he got it. His brother was not quite as lucky. He had an academic scholarship at the Northern Arizona College, and he tried for University of Arizona and the D-backs and didn't make it through either tryouts. So... I don't know. I, somehow they're able to work it out together. I'd like to know more about how that shakes down with the family. It's it's interesting, though, with the Little League World Series, he actually went back to Williamsburg to play in a game in 2018 when the Phillies and the Mets met there. And he played against my Mets boyfriend from last year, Michael Conforto, who I talked about because he also had been in the in the Little League World Series. So either side, many years later, it's sort of like you, you got to watch these tournaments. You don't know what's going to happen with these little guys. He was picked in the second round in 2015. He was a very hot draft pick. In 2017, he was the only minor league player to get 25 home runs and 25 stolen bases, and he was in that game that we love to talk about, the Futures game. So then in AAA that year, he was the first player in the Phillies AAA system to get a leadoff inside the park home run. I can't imagine that's that common period. No, not at all. Yeah. Inside the park home run. So that's a little bit of foreshadowing also. When he came up in 2018, he did start super strong. He debuted at the end of March, which I'm not quite sure where. Well, actually, that no, that's totally the beginning of the season. March 30th. Mm-hmm. That makes sense. So then his first RBI was a week later on April 7th. And then two days after that, his first home run. The day after that, his first grand slam. And the day after that, his first walk-off RBI. I'm sorry the start was so slow. My goodness, that's great. To get all that stuff within the first few days. So his 2018 was ended up being less than stellar. It wasn't quite the breakout year that they had envisioned, but he did get to pitch. So he's not a pitcher. He's a position player. The Mets were killing the Phillies 20 plus to four, and they brought him in the eighth inning. And his curve, I guess it's a curve because it kind of went up and down. That's a 12-6. It it was totally a 12-6, and it was so slow that it didn't register. (laughs) And there was a relief pitcher who was hitting for the first time for the Mets because they don't end up hitting that often, and he got his first major league hit. That would be former national Jerry Blevins. There we go. Mm -hmm. Former national. Um, But uh, King... King, I keep messing up how to pronounce his name. These foreign names. No, Kingery. 
made it up the next game because he helped them win with a home run. So last year, 2019, was supposed to be his breakout, and it started that way. And even you picked up on this because we had an all-star show that year where we were making all-star picks, and you noticed him, and I had never heard of him, because of his, he was like 1.000 OPS at that point, and he had gotten a bunch of home runs that week, and he was subbing all over the place because the Phillies were hurting in the outfield. So you called him, and he was doing great at that point. And then after that, he had his sophomore slump. Did right? I curse him? I, I shit. I hope not. I hope I don't not know, too. Maybe, but then they they picked his weak weak spot. He couldn't hit pitches low and outside, and he was swinging too much. And his 1.000 OPS uh, went down to 788 by the end of the season. But for boyfriend cred, he hosted the Papa Palooza, which is the third annual uh, benefit for the Pennsylvania SPCA for Society for Protection Against Cruelty to Animals. Is you that got right? It. Uh-huh. And uh, the the torch was passed to him by your ex boyfriend Reese Hoff- Hoskins. Hoskins. Hoskins, you got it. I said that right. Oh uh-huh. gosh, it's late. Um, and he he got to play bartender that night. So the so he's got a variety of skills. Yeah, and the Puppapalooza deal is that there's a whole bunch of pups there. The the SPCA brings the pups. Fans come meet the players, adopt a pup. All the money goes to the pups. It's a win-win situation. And well, just, to the SPCA, not to the pups. Yeah, well, we're, the, not, we're not paying the pups. The, but but the pups, right, right. The, <laughs> the organization. The, the organization gets the money. The pups win. The pups get a home. Pups get a home. Kids are happy. Yeah, players are happy. Last thing I want to say about him is he had another inside the park home run at the end of the season last year. And it was because your Braves boyfriend, Ronald Acuna, almost made a great play. And, and I can't blame him for it. And he just missed it. He sort of leapt over the wall, caught the ball, and the ball kind of funneled through his glove instead of staying in his glove. And and Kingery, I said, I said that right, right? Kingery right. just kept running. He didn't know what he was supposed to be doing, but he figured he'd figure that out later. And he just kept running, and he made it all the way around. So power to him. I think I'm going to keep this guy. All right. All right. I chose the guy who turned out to be so far the best catcher in the entire league. If you look at numbers, JT Realmuto, who is 28 years old. Um, he's an Oklahoma boy born to blue collar parents. The, the Marlins drafted him in the third round right out of high school in 2010. And he had already committed to Oklahoma State, but then the Marlins offered him a $700,000 bonus, signing bonus. And, you know, see blue-collar parents above. I kind of think he said we could use that. So he went to the Marlins right out of high school. He debuted in 2014, kind of went up and down, cup of coffee here and there, um, and then started playing regularly with the Marlins and was traded to the Phillies just last year, for at the, about this time last year, actually, to play the full season with the Phillies. One of the ways you know they're a boyfriend is when they win the Heart and Hustle Award. Mm-hmm. He won it twice in 2017 and 2018. He was an all-star in 2018 and 2019. And I'm going to tell you the thing that he does around all-star games. He and his wife, Alexis, had a baby, Gracie, right before the 2018 all-star game. They made a habit of this? Well, right before the 2019 all-star game, his he and his wife, Alexis, had a baby, <laughs> Willa May. That's wow. two straight years. They have newborns just before the All-Star game. So stay tuned. Do the math. I'm mm-hmm. thinking, you know, postseason is a time they get back together and reconnect. Right. I guess. So we'll see. But yeah, so there's, um, there are some All-Star babies. 
also won the Silver Slugger Award in 2018 and 2019. That would be with the Marlins and then with the Phillies. And a gold glove just this past year with the Phillies in 2019. This past year, he led all catchers in the league in runs, hits, stolen bases, and he caught 43 runners stealing. To give you some perspective on that, the second place catcher, Grandal, had 27. So caught 43 runners versus 27. That's pretty good. This is all with having knee surgery a couple weeks before the season ended. So mid-September. And his numbers were still better than everybody else's. So I I think the guy's got some chops, right? This started when he was in high school. He won the the Oklahoman, the newspaper, the top male scholar-athlete award in the Oklahoma City area. He Because he played three sports, over his high school career brought home four state championships, two in football, two in baseball. He broke a national baseball record with 119 RBIs, all while carrying a 4.2 GPA. 4.2? I like smart boys. I like the smart boys. His dad played college ball. His mom's brothers were all championship wrestlers like NCAA champs one of them was a two-time Olympic gold medalist in wrestling and in fact um, JT or Jake as they call him started out as a wrestler when he was a little kid and did that through middle school his sister Ryan is a catcher she caught for caught and um, on the Oklahoma State softball team and was an all-star in the pro softball league and is now a college softball coach so the fact that she was a good catcher already helped him when he converted to catcher a few years ago so she's been like his like so nice family coach so the personal things when he was born he was hospitalized immediately because he had a rare infection and it's a very dangerous kind of infection in fact he had um there was another child born in their family prior to jt or jake who had the same infection and actually it was fatal he died three days after he was born so they were really scared about here is the second child who has this infection so he was in the hospital for for 10 days so the whole family and he's fine clearly fine clearly he's like a specimen he's very tall very strong very healthy but very scary those first 10 days so the whole family is very attuned to kids with serious health issues in 2016, he was invited to the Children's Center um, Rehabilitation Hospital in Oklahoma, near where he grew up, by the woman who is the communications director for the hospital because they went to the same high school and their parents are friends. And she said, hey, would you be interested in coming and touring the hospital? And he said, of course. And he spent two hours there visiting kids, talking to kids, um, meeting everybody. He's just a very approachable guy. And the kids open up to him. So there was one particular child who was the victim of a horrific car accident. And they talked for like half an hour in the room. They were comparing scars. Like they had this like really, it was very sweet, but it was very engaging. The kid was totally into it. And as they were leaving, they looked around and the the kid's therapist was in tears. And like they pulled the therapist out in the hall and said, what am I missing? That child hasn't spoken. Oh my God. In a month. Wow. Two months. Sorry. In two months. And this child opened up to Ramuto immediately. So like all this therapy they'd been doing did not get through. But having this guy kind of talk to this kid in whatever magic way he had really helped this kid. So he's now an honorary board member and his wife is becoming an honorary board member. They visit many times during the off season and they do things like bring diapers and bring toys. The, that um, hospital goes through 5,000 diapers a week. Wow. Right. And so he helps with fundraising, you know, the the face of the fundraising, but also does a lot on his own. Um, Separately with um, Aaron Nola, 
he is the Phillies ambassador to this home plate project, which connects um, this national project to local groups trying to end childhood hunger. So he's got a lot of really wonderful extra credit boyfriend points. And he's smart. And he's the best catcher in the league. So I feel pretty darn confident. That's a solid pick I'm, right I'm, there. I'm going with that. I'm feeling really good about that. So really briefly, there have been some developments in the electronic sign stealing brouhaha that's been happening that started with the investigation into the Astros. As part of the Astros investigation, the Red Sox were implicated as also using electronic means to steal signs. Apparently, they they have used, this is, they have allegedly used the video replay rooms to learn the signs that the catcher is giving, and then they communicated that to the runner on second. So this is a little different than what the Astros did because the Astros were communicating to the batter what was coming directly with the trash can. These guys were communicating to the batter through a human. But in both cases, they were using electronic means to learn the signs. Manfred has said he's going to investigate with the same, quote, thoroughness and vigor that they used in the investigation of the Astros in which 60 people were interviewed and 70,000 emails were reviewed and phones were confiscated. This is a big deal because there were two warnings issued by the MLB about using electronics to decipher signs. One was in um, September of 2017, which was right after the whole Apple Watch episode. And the other was very clearly stated in March of 2018 about you cannot use any of these electronic means to learn the signs, to steal signs. You can't do it. The bigger picture when we step back from this is really about instant replay. All right. They've got all these video monitors at their disposal. And what the teams have been told by MLB is, okay, you can see all these things, but only use that for like instant replay review. How, how like to, to, to contest a play is what right, you're saying. Right. Yeah. So in the meantime, like guys are going in there to do sort of training things. Like they're watching how people are getting pitched and all of this stuff. Right. Their which study is, of the tapes. Their study of the tapes. But they didn't do that before. They did that after games or before the next game in the past. But now that these video feeds are available. People are, are in and out of these video rooms all the time. And nothing other than shaking the finger saying, be careful, you don't do that thing. That thing is bad. There's been no enforcement or no other rules around it. Now, just because there weren't rules around it, you did have this this thing that said, well, there was the rule. There, there right, was the rule, but there was no enforcement right. around it, right? So the only um, enforcement this year there have been monitors in the video rooms in the regular season and last in 2018 um yeah starting in 2018 in the playoffs right mlb so this did not happen during the playoffs that, right that so they led so to the world series so mlb um, had staff in there in the in the 2018 world series and then throughout 2019 so one of the things that may come out of this is they may shut down all tech except for the instant replay monitor. Like all the other videos have to be like shut down after the first inning. Mm-hmm. I'm sorry, after the first pitch. You can review them later on your ho- on your own time when it's homework. But it just takes away the opportunity. So shit is sit in the fan. Yeah, it's hard. I mean, there's so much I could say, but I know that we're super limited on time here as a Red Sox fan. I do not condone that kind of behavior. At the same time, I feel like a lot we need a lot more information at this point about what happened, what the rules exactly are, and how things need to be monitored for the future. 
I will leave it right there. I'm going to go someplace warm and sunny really fast, and that's our winter baseball. We did all these great picks. There's still baseball happening now. Get so frustrated listening to people lament about no baseball. I was watching baseball right before we started recording because you can do that. You have computers out there. I know you do. You're listening to us. So we've been following a lot of the winter leagues, and I made some predictions. I just want to say that three of my predictions are now out. In Mexico, my Naranjeros did not make the semifinals. They're in the semifinals now, so it's down to four teams. Colombia, you heard us make our snap decision last week that did not fall through. That was me Bitter. picking based on the on the, the logo. Yeah, I kind of set you up. I just let. I mean, if I had given you more information, I'm sure you would have picked the right team. Although the team they weren't that you first did place, they were <laughs> right. It was ironically the first place team. The Toros bit it. So now we have the Gigantes de Barranquilla and the Va- Vaqueros de Monteria, who are in the finals in Colombia, and the winner of that will be going to the Caribbean series at the beginning of February, as we also talked about last week. My most heartbreaking loss was in the Dominican Republic because the the um, the Leones del Escogido, I watched lose in extra innings two nights in a row. Oh, ouch. So they're dead last place at this point. I think that they're probably done by now. So it's either going to be the Toros. versus The Toros are definitely in their first place versus the Tigres or the Aguilas. But there's hope. There's three countries. where Countries. Here I go again. Back to Puerto Rico. Their um, schedule has gotten really fucked up with the earthquake, but they're still playing. So I think this is another thing to super follow about the role that baseball plays in giving people a diversion, giving people a way to come together, having community. My gigantes are tied in their version of the semis in with against the Indios. And then the other two teams, the Cangrejeros, are winning on the Ateni. Ateniesis de Maragui. So we'll see what happens there. Um, in Venezuela, my Cardinales de Lara are going to the semis. More on that soon. And Nicaragua is not going to be in the Caribbean series, but I'm just going to mention them because I have a team in the finals. And that would be the Tigres de Chanandega, the one team that we know is going to the Caribbean season from Panama, the Astronautas. I got the hat. Woohoo! It's so cool. So we're going to post a picture of that as soon as it comes in. I have no idea what Panamanian postage does. <laughs> we're going to cross train with the Olympics. That's big. The yeah, super big. The International Olympic Committee just released a three-page document called Rule 50 Guidelines, which sounds boring, but really it's kind of fascinating because what this, what this memo does is it outlines that the IOC is forbidding demonstrations and protests by athletes during the Olympics. And they're very specific about it. It's on the field of play, in the Olympic Village, as part of official ceremonies, whether that's the opening or closing ceremonies or medal ceremonies. Um, They want to, they say, they want to keep the Olympics neutral and free of political, religious, or ethnic demonstrations. Yeah, we have seen how well, how easy that is to do to separate sports from politics. Right, right? yeah, yeah. I mean, look at past Olympics. You just can't. So they're going to try. They're They're going to try. I mean, I agree. And I think people are going to flout the rules. Mm -hmm. They are. And this means like no signs, no armbands, nothing. Like you can't wear anything that expresses sort of like, you know, protest. It also means gestures like kneeling on the podium, raising a fist on the podium. Two things that actually happened in the Pan American Games this past summer, and both of those athletes were suspended for a year. One thing I read said that keeps them out of the Olympics, and one thing I read said 
that would that will end just before the Olympics. So I don't know. But the other thing that's unclear about it is what's going to happen to the people who do flout that rule, because it says disciplinary action will be on a case-by-case basis by the country's national and then also the international Olympic committees. So they're not saying you'll be suspended or you'll be fined or you will lose your whatever. It doesn't say that. It says case-by-case basis. Now they are separating out what they call um, freedom of expression from protests and demonstrations because they say you can, you're welcome to. Express your political opinions, like in the media rooms, during interviews, during team meetings, on social media and other media. So you can be as outspoken as you want when you are not engaged in an athletic, in a sporting event. When you're not part of the picture, when you're not part of the photo op picture. That's what I'm thinking. Like, Yeah, I mean, like it, when you're on the podium, when yeah. you're on the field, when you're in the Olympic Village, all of those things. So I'm very frustrated by this. I'm frustrated by the extreme clarity in what's forbidden, but the complete lack of clarity into what's going to happen if you don't follow those rules. I guess they just assume everybody will. I think there's going to be upheaval. Mm -hmm. Stay tuned. You know what I'm doing this week? I am going to study up on Cubs and Rangers because those are the next boyfriends that we are going to talk about. What are you going to do this week? I'm going to count down spring training. That's what I'm looking up right now, frantically on my phone. Can I tell you how much time we have until spring training starts with pitchers and catchers reporting? Yes, please. How long? It's only 30 days. 30 days, 2 hours, 52 minutes, and 52 seconds from the time of recording. But back to the question, sorry, while I was scurrying on my phone, what I'm going to do this week, I'm going to keep watching baseball. There are winter league finals happening. This is... High-level baseball when people aren't hitting hitting each other with bats, which didn't quite make it into the show, but will into the notes. Stay <laughs> tuned for that. Also in the notes will be a link to a directory of where you two can watch winter baseball if you want to be cool like Potty Mouth and watch baseball in January. Please follow us on social media. Potty Mouth will tell you where. You can talk to us on Twitter at NCIB Podcast or find us on Facebook and Instagram and No Crying and B-Ball or just go to NoCryingAndBball.com to listen to all those past episodes. And please share those with your friends if you think they'd like listening to us talk some baseball. And until next week, say goodnight, Potty Mouth. Goodnight, Potty Mouth. <laughs> <laughs>